know about y'all, but I'm ready to change the world. In German, we'd say we're ready to rip some trees out of the ground. Bäume ausreißen, right? That's good. Yeah, I'm sure y'all know that phrase, obviously, by heart by now. <laughs> Folks, I am ready. We have been talking about our church's new vision for, well, this is now the third week, and even before this, for three weeks in a row, we were preparing ourselves for what God was going to show us and teach us out of his word about our vision, where we as a church are going. We've said that our new vision is to become fully, we are becoming fully devoted followers of Christ by becoming, belonging to each other, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. We talked about what it means to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Remember, we put an I-N-G on each of these words so that no one thinks we're there, we've arrived, we're the experts, and we're inviting the folks outside to come join us so we can show you how to do it. No, 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 no. We're all in the same process. It's an I-N-G word. We're all working at it. None of us are there yet. And last week we talked about belonging and how important it is to belong together. This week we're talking about believing, but not just believing, believing in Christ alone. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, this one's going to be easy because, <laughs> you know, we're a church and we're full of Christians. And Christians, really, that just means someone who believes in Jesus. So I guess we just keep doing what we've been doing. <clears throat> Amen. Is that it? Are we good? Is that all that's involved in believing? Because, you know, we Christians, we think we believe, we have belief in Jesus. And those folks out there, outside the walls of the church, they don't believe. They are the unbelievers, the non-believers. We have belief. They have no belief. We have it all, and they have nothing. Is that how it works? I think we're, if we think that way, we are wrong on both accounts. Let, let's talk about those outsiders and the idea that they don't believe in anything. That is not true. Folks believe in all kinds of things. In fact, I made a little list. I wonder if I can come up. They believe, they believe in hard work. They believe in luck. They believe in religion. They believe in money. They believe in karma. They believe in social media. They even believe in conspiracy theories. They believe in all kinds of things. The problem is not that they don't believe. The problem is they probably believe in too many things. Here's the deal. God created us humans, men and women alike, to have this desire, this inner need to believe in something obviously God's intention was that we would believe in him, and believe is just a fancy way of saying put our full trust in somebody or something. So he made us that way so that we would naturally be attracted to him and put our full trust in him. We are not robots that God controls as a puppet, but he wants to woo us with his love so that we would choose to put our full trust, believe, in him. The problem is out there, these folks still have that same desire inside to believe in something. So the enemy, he's as smart as he looks. He says, I know what I'll do. I can't take away that desire to believe. God made those folks that way. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them lots of tiny little portions of things they can believe in and satiate, satisfy that desire to believe in something. It won't be enough. It won't fill them up. But if there's enough if there's enough little portions, little snack foods of belief, maybe at the end I can trick them and they'll die before they realize they never believed in what truly changes their life. Stuff like spirituality and that warm, fuzzy feeling when you help other people. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is it's not enough. We have to believe in Jesus Christ 
alone. So looking now at us, the insiders, what does that mean about us? Well, surely we've got it down. We believe in Jesus. That's what makes us a Christian. You're not a Christian unless you believe in Jesus Christ. It's really the definition of the word. So surely we'd have it down now. The problem is that we don't believe in Jesus alone. For many of us, it's not, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus plus. What do I mean? We believe in Jesus plus our pastor. We believe in Jesus plus our tradition of our home church. We believe in Jesus plus our family, what they can do for us or how they can help us. We believe in Jesus plus our politicians and our politics. We believe in Jesus plus our kids. We believe in Jesus plus our secret sins that no one knows about. And we have this secret deal with God. He, he lets me get, get by with these super secret things as long as I serve him or I give enough into the church. It's a special deal me and God have. We're good, right? That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Neither the outsiders with their all kinds of belief or the insiders where they believe in Jesus, but not Jesus alone. Neither is correct. In fact, for the insiders, the problem is very much like, like we see in, in some of these other religions. We, we, as a family, we used to live on an island in the Caribbean. Wait, that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> we used to live on the Caribbean where there were a bunch of folks that came from the Hindu religion, from, from India, had moved to this island. And, of course, the, the Hindu religion has not one god or, or two or three gods, but they have thousands. So to keep things a little simpler, a typical family, they would choose maybe eight or ten of these thousands of gods, and they would say, okay, our family, we choose these eight or ten, and we worship these. And they would buy little figurines, little statues, and they would have this special shelf in their home, and they'd place them very carefully, and they'd have certain rituals and traditions that they would do with these. Now, every once in a while, some of these families would actually come to Jesus. They would believe in Jesus. And it was exciting. It was a, a celebration. We would all praise God and baptism and a, a big stay-down lunch at church. I mean, it was a big deal. But for many of them, what that meant is they would go the next day to a little store, buy them a cross, come home to that little shelf, and they'd push the gods over a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, and they'd stick that cross right in the middle and say, now I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I think they really meant it. The problem was all those little gods left and right were still on the same shelf, maybe a little smaller and no longer in the middle, but they were still on the shelf. And we say, oh, how, how simplistic. How can someone look at that and not realize what's going on there? Have you looked at your life? Have you, have you looked at how you spend your money, how you spend your time, where you invest your, 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 your very limited time, money, or energy in today's culture? I promise you, if we went to your house, you might not have, you might not have a shelf, but if we look closely enough, I could find the little gods that you would place on that shelf if they sold them as little figurines. So, so neither is correct. So what does it look like? We're going we're gonna to read a Bible story today that is very familiar to all of us. And in this story, we're reading about the disciples. Some of them had it right. They were believing in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to learn a lot from those guys. One of these guys, also a disciple, also a follower of Jesus Christ, also a believer, at this particular time in his life, he chose to believe in other things or seek help or support or what he needed from other things besides Jesus alone. And we're also going to learn from this guy as well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. If you want to, you can open up on your app, choose the word events, and hit our, the button for our church, and all the notes will come up. 
the text as well, or you can just watch up on the screen. John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 19. It's, of course, the, the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples after his death, after his resurrection. And we're going to learn not only from the disciples who believe in Jesus alone, because that's what we're talking about, believing in Jesus alone, but also from old Thomas, who started working it and depending on, counting on, uh, getting resources from other sources. So look at John 20, 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fears of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's the Greek word for twin. So he must have been a twin. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Hey, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. All right, so that's the story. A familiar story. You've probably heard it many times. And as we get closer to the Easter season, you may, <clears throat> you may even hear it again. But the point of this story is all of those guys were in this very tight-knit group with Jesus all of them would have been described as believers. The grand majority of those believers were holding on to Jesus and Jesus alone. Thomas, because of the stress and the difficulty and the frustration and, and the sheer terror that was going through his heart and all of their hearts at the moment, he chose to reach out to other avenues, other options, other sources and resources to fill what he believed Jesus was not able to take care of. So we're going to learn from both. First of all, let's look at what happens when we truly do believe in Jesus alone. What happens? Number one, number one, when we truly believe in Christ alone, Jesus alone, number one, we receive God's peace. Let me read 19, 20, and 21 again. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After that, he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. This is so important. When we truly belong to Jesus and we hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone, he gives us his peace. Now, you got to understand what's going on with these guys. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but they were literally hunkered down, hiding out, doors locked, no one was allowed in. No one was allowed out. They believed that death was just on the other side of the door. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and they knew that if anything came in or anyone came in, it was only to do them harm. They believed the Jewish leaders or at the very least their soldiers, maybe even the Roman soldiers were going to come bouncing in, pounding in at any moment, swords flaring and cutting off heads and arms and everything. And they knew that was going to happen when all of a sudden, not a soldier, not a Jewish leader, not even a, a sergeant came in, but rather Jesus without even opening the door. Folks, they had done everything in their human power to protect themselves. Everything their logical human minds told them to do, they had done. 
what does Jesus do? When we do everything in our human, logical, human minds to protect ourselves or to take care of ourselves or to plan for ourselves, what does Jesus do? He just walks right in because he don't care. He don't play the games that we play. He doesn't live by the rules that we live by. He doesn't have those minuscule plans that you and I have for our lives. He walks right through them and he says, peace be with you, not once, but twice. You know the whole story every time I say it. If he says it once, it's super important. But imagine Jesus says the same thing twice in one conversation. Folks, it is super important. Why is this so important for for Jesus and then therefore for us? If we believe in Jesus alone, believe in Jesus alone, this is what this means. Number one, that peace, it's that, that, that wholeness, that completeness, that shalom. Remember we talked about that word shalom, where God just brings all the pieces into place. At this moment, their world was scattered. It was terrifying. They had no peace. They were literally shaking with fear. And God, Jesus speaks this over them, and he stops all of that. He calms all of that. Jesus is, is relieving them from this incredibly stressful time. But not only that, with this peace, he is stealing them up, strengthening, building them up because he knows what's about to come. Now, we'll talk about it in a moment, but he just said right after this, he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. He's about to give them their marching orders. He's about to tell them, okay, guys, here's what's next. So he's saying, before I do that, I'm going to give you my peace to calm you. I'm going to give you my peace to strengthen you and get ready for what's next. And then thirdly, he says, I don't know how else to say it except for this way. You know how sometimes we talk about in the military world that they can take a, a virus or, a, or an airplane or, or, or something and they can weaponize it? Of course, you know what that means. They, they, they give that, that object, whatever it is, the ability to, to go to the enemy territory and, 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 and spread in, in, in military terms, you know, badness, bombs or explosions or sickness, whatever it is. This is what Jesus is doing for us, but obviously in a very positive sense. He is weaponizing us, the believers. When he is speaking his peace over us, he is infusing us with his godly peace. Why? Because we're going to go into conversations. We're going to go into situations. We're going to live with families. We're going to work with colleagues. We're going to sit desk by desk with other school students that he won't have the opportunity to get to, but we will. So by infusing us with his peace, wherever we go, guess what? His peace goes with us, in us, before us, behind us, all around us. We become, we become magnets for Jesus because his peace is so desirable in our crazy, mixed-up world. So number one, we receive God's peace. Secondly, what else happens when we believe in Jesus alone? Number two, God removes our doubts. Now let me read 19 and 20 one more time. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, I love this part, you know, because Christianity and, and church and religion, it's all about faith, right? You know, and faith is not science. In fact, it's, it, they, they say it's the exact opposite. You can't scientifically prove things that you believe on faith, right? In fact, when we talk about coming to Christ, we talk about taking that step of faith. It's not a step of science. 
It's not a step of proof. It's not a step of empirical evidence. We have to trust or believe in Jesus because we don't really know what's coming. We don't really have it in our hands. But here, Jesus is saying, listen, I get it. I know how you're wired. You're still firmly planted in this earth. I know that your minds think that way. You need something to hold on to. You need something to see with your eyes. A lot of us here are probably more bent that way. Probably I'm bent a little bit more the other way. I would tend to see the the glass half full and, and positively and see things that aren't even there yet in anticipation of what God will do. And other people say, no, 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 no. I ain't gonna believe it till I see it. I'm not gonna believe the money's coming till it's in my pocket. I'm not gonna believe the folks are coming till I see their cars pull into their parking lot. So we're all wired differently, but Jesus understands that. So here's what he's saying. Watch, I'll do it, I'll prove it. Touch, see, I ain't scared of that. See, Jesus lives seamlessly in both worlds. For him, the heavenly world, the spiritual world, is just as real as the physical world that we can touch and see and smell. For us humans, this is all there is. Every once in a while, if we have a really good spiritual experience, we might get a glimpse of the heavenly realms and what it's like to trust Jesus, even when we can't see it with our own eyes. But at this point, we're still firmly planted here, and Jesus says, I get that, I understand that. I will come to you. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of the problems that you might have with how the church runs or how Christianity runs or, or how Paul talked about women or, or, or how the, the Bible is silent on this and yet goes overboard on that. He's not afraid of any of those things. He says, come, touch, and see. Jesus takes our doubts, answers our doubts, and then the Bible says that they were overjoyed. Now, I think it's interesting when we read that the disciples were overjoyed. This was not the first time the disciples had been with Jesus. It was also not the first time the disciples had been together. So what was the source of this joy that they were experiencing as Jesus was removing their doubts? You'd think that would have been the joy. For me, that would have been it because I would have been so excited that Jesus finally proved scientifically that he rose from the grave. That would have been awesome. I would have been overjoyed by that, but that's not what overjoyed them. It was when they saw Jesus. Folks, this is so key. Uh, Many of us have stayed away from worship or at least indoor worship. We have a great group that comes on Saturday night. We have a wonderful, ever-growing group here on Sunday morning online, a great group that views every single week online. But, but all of us miss the days when we used to all come together. That used to make us happy to be together. The fellowship we'd enjoy, the, the voices singing and the, and the hugs. Remember, remember hugs? Yeah, it's been a long time, but when we used to hug each other, or at least, at least high-five each other, you know, all those things we miss, that used to bring us joy. But truly, what brings you joy in the fellowship of believers is not just seeing other believers, but when Jesus shows up. Folks, yeah, we might be happy when we're together, but when Jesus shows up, that's what brings joy, and that's what happened for these folks. And then number three, what happens when we truly believe in Jesus alone? Verse 21, we join God on his mission. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All right, now this is key. God is saying, okay, after all these things that I've done, all these things I've prepared you for, I've even weaponized you with the, with the peace of God. Now I am sending you out. This, this mission of God is key. We even talked a little bit about it last week. But you find this all through the Old Testament. 
all through the life of Jesus and all through the, the, all the way to the end of the New Testament, that God is always on a mission. His mission is simply this, to, to reach and to reconcile a lost world back to himself. That is his mission. That is his goal. That is what he is after all the time. And as a mission God, a missional God, in fact, the Latin term is missio dei. It just simply means the mission of God. As a missional God, he is also a sending God. Now, you remember, who was the first one he sent? His son, Jesus Christ. Well, while Jesus was here, this is what he says. Here and many other places in the New Testament, as the Father sent me, now I send you. So God is a sending God. He's a missional God. He sends his son into the world. As Jesus is about to return to his Father, he looks to the folks around, meaning you and you and me, he says, okay, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Here's the problem. We churches, we pastors, we, we believers, we think we have a mission, and we need God to bless that mission so we can get out there and accomplish this mission and glorify God. That is our mission. Wrong. Exact opposite. God has a mission. The reason, in fact, the mission, the mission doesn't uh, uh, God, the, the church doesn't have a mission, but rather the mission is what has a church. To accomplish that mission, God needs a church, you and me, to reach out to the world and to reconcile them back to himself. God is calling us to do that. He is weaponizing us with his uh, uh, peace, and here he is weaponizing us with his Holy Spirit. So that's what it looks like when we believe in Christ alone. What would it look like if we did not believe in Christ alone? Now we're going to learn from old Thomas. Now, Again, let me just say this about old Thomas. I really don't want to throw him under the bus. It's almost a shame that here we are thousands of years later talking about Thomas in negative terms. In fact, he has a nickname. Y'all remember what his nickname is? See, you didn't have to think about it. You knew that. We are so quick. But haters are going to hate. I mean, that's back then and today, haters are going to hate. This is, we will talk about his failure till Jesus comes. But here's the truth. We are probably more like Thomas than any of the other disciples. We get Thomas. I'm just glad we get to call him Doubting Thomas, and I don't show up in the Bible, because I'd be called, well, I'd be called a lot of things in the Bible, but one of them would be Doubting David, right? So we're just like him. So I just wanted to clarify that. What do we learn from old Thomas in this? What, what happens when we don't believe in Christ alone? Number one, look at verse 24. We become isolated from the family of God. Verse 24. Now Thomas, known as a twin... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. We become isolated from the family of God. When we don't believe in Jesus alone, what was going on? Now, I, I get why, why the other disciples were there. I get it. They were scared. They were horrified. They were terrorized. They, they were clueless. They had no idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Also, they were a little embarrassed or ashamed. They had not gone to the crucifixion. They only watched from a distance only John and Jesus' mother were there. They had all hidden these big, strong, burly fishermen. They were all hiding behind a tree somewhere, so maybe they were a little ashamed. We don't know why they were there, but they were all hunkered down together. That we get. What I don't get is why Thomas wasn't there. I mean, think about it for a minute. In the whole world, I mean, literally, in the entire planet, the only people alive at that moment who could have understood what Thomas was going through were in that room. No one else truly could have understood him. No one else truly could have helped him, supported him, been with him in that moment except the men in that room. And he wasn't there. 
Where was it? We don't know. And that's the beautiful thing. I dare say, and this is just my opinion, but if we knew where Thomas was at this time, instead of being with the guys, there'd be this whole theology about it, written about how terrible it is. Let's say he went fishing, whatever. He didn't. I'm not saying he went fishing. I'm just saying. Let's say he went fishing. Phil, trust me. Fishing is fine. But if Phil, let's, let's stop Phil. If Thomas, if Thomas went fishing, I promise you, if that was in the Bible, we preachers, we'd be up here railing against preaching. It's of the devil. It pulls you away from Jesus and the family of God. So it doesn't say where he was. All we know is that somehow in his little brain, in his little heart, in his little spirit, he felt that being with the guys, the family of God, the presence of Jesus, that that wasn't going to be enough. He was going to have to find what he needed somewhere else. It could have been fishing. It could have been time alone. It could have been a family member. It could have been a guru on top of a mountain saying, oh, I have no idea where he is. It doesn't even matter where he goes. What matters to me is where you go. Where do you go when you think Jesus isn't enough for you? Is it under a tree? Is it fishing? Is it a, a self-help guru, a self-help book? Uh, another religion? Uh, is it pornography? Is it, is it um, uh, uh, spending more money? Uh, what is it? Where do you go to fill the need that you believe Jesus can't fill? This is what was going on with him. When we believe that Jesus is not enough, yeah, sure, Jesus, yes, 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 but he's not enough. I need Jesus plus, and then you have your list, and your list is going to be different than my list, and my list is going to be different from Danny's list. We all have our list of things that might fill that tank that we think Jesus can't fill. And number one, we become isolated from the family of God. Number two, we become isolated from God's word. Look again at verse 24. Now Thomas, the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So number two, we not, number one, we become isolated from God's family. But number two, we become isolated from God's word. Now here's the deal. I love, I love old things. Uh, I, I even love old food. I mean, I'll eat leftovers from last night. In fact, last night I ate leftovers from Friday night. I'll eat leftovers from a restaurant. Actually, for dessert, I had leftovers from a restaurant. So, so I, I obviously really do like leftovers. I'll, I'll drive an old car. Uh, our, our, our faithful fatty patty finally died on us. And so this weekend, I bought an old car. I looked at the Carfax, I am owner number eight <laughs> for the car that I bought. I have no problem buying and driving old cars. Uh, clothes, this shirt came from a vintage shop. And by vintage, I mean Goodwill. So, so I have no problem wearing secondhand things. None of those things bother me at all. In fact, I kind of prefer that. But I don't like secondhand news from God. I don't want to hear from God through a brother. I don't want to hear from God through a sister. I want to hear from God from his voice speaking to my heart. He, he, right here, Thomas, because he pulled away, because he believed in Jesus, plus these other things, he wasn't present to hear a fresh word from God. So he had to depend on these other guys and how they presented it. Too many of us are trying to live on, depend on, survive on the faith of our parents or the faith of our grandparents or the faith of our spouse or the faith of our pastor, or our own faith, but our faith from 10 or 20 years ago. 
God wants to speak new and true and powerful words to you, but you must be in a position to hear and receive those words. Thomas, he had checked out. He began looking for what he needed in other places, other resources to provide what he thought he needed. Jesus wasn't enough, and because of that, he was having to depend on secondhand news from other believers. Thirdly, if we don't believe in Christ alone, we, we are isolated from God's family, we're isolated from God's word, and we become isolated from God's power. Again, look at verse 24. Now Thomas, the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Here's the problem. If we don't believe Jesus enough and we begin looking for, depending on, resourcing our needs from anyone anywhere else other than Jesus, then we are going to isolate ourselves from the power of God that changes everything. Because here's the deal. We're all going to have doubts. We're all going to have questions. We're all going to have problems that we can't solve by ourselves. But as we enter into worship or as we dig into God's word at home or we, 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 we enter into Bible studies on Sunday mornings or during the week or Wednesday night, whatever it is when we're with other believers uh, knowing and hearing from God freshly every week, uh, when that happens, when these questions come up, when these doubts come up, when these problems come up, God is able to, to break those down and, and, and pull those back down and to, to speak truth into our life, and, and that wall becomes small. But if we don't do that, here's what happens. Those doubts, those questions, those problems, those issues that we have with, with God or his word or his people, they continue to mount up until one day it's like a wall between us and God. We think, I, I can't even hear God anymore. God, uh, you're speaking, but I don't hear you. Months go by, maybe a year goes by, and then suddenly when you really need God, you turn around and, and there's this huge wall there. You can't even hear him anymore. When all the while, if you would weekly, even daily, come before God, before his throne, in prayer, with his word, and allow him to tear these things down, he'll do that. The problem is when we don't do that, this wall goes up, and then we revert back to our old ways of thinking, our old paradigms, our old way of handling problems, and it is no longer Jesus-focused, but it is me-focused. I mean, you heard Thomas here, didn't you? I, me, my, mine. I, me, my, mine. I, me, my, mine. When we don't have our focus on Jesus, automatically, without us even having to think about it, our default mode returns a focus back on ourselves if i don't see it if i don't touch it if i don't accept it if it doesn't pass by my standards i won't believe and we walk away folks if we don't believe in jesus alone we become isolated from god we become isolated from his word we become isolated from his power i don't know if we have any uh, military aviators john buick was my my go-to aviator he told me about this this call saying that they would say on the radio when a when a commander or the or the controller on the ground would, would call out to a pilot, to an aviator, and, and ask for him to spot something, a, a, a missing plane, a, a missing boat, a, a, an enemy target, anything. They would call for them to look for that. If John didn't see it, if there was no visual contact, he would call back, no joy, no joy. And that meant to both parties, no visual contact was made. 
This is that story. The Bible says the disciples, they saw Jesus. There was joy. Thomas did not see Jesus. There was no joy. Before we end, I want to encourage you with this. This is not out of the Bible. This is just simply uh, church history. So let me, let me just tell you that. But the story, apparently, according to history, didn't end here with Thomas. History tells us that just as all the other disciples scattered after this time, Thomas also scattered. He made it all the way down to India. He ministered there, started churches, uh, shared the gospel with everybody he could until he died in India. Today, 2021, the largest, fastest growing church planting movement in the entire world is going on right there in, China, in uh, India through the spiritual great, 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 great grandchildren of the disciple Thomas. Where will your story end? Will you believe only in Christ alone? Or will you continue to reach out to other places and other people and other things to resource the needs that you think Jesus is not sufficient to meet? Jesus calling us to believe, yes, but to believe in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for guys like Thomas. We, uh, we rake him over the coals and we kind of turn our nose up at him, but Father, the truth is we learn so much more from guys like him than from some of the heroes of the faith. So we thank you for Thomas, and we thank you for what we believe history tells us is the, uh, the, the rest of his story. We are encouraged by that, and we believe Father, that, that our stories also will have a rest of the story. So God, please, continue writing our stories. Embolden us, empower us, strengthen us today to not give in to our own desires to seek elsewhere the things that we know only you can give. Father, we believe. Help us to believe in you alone. Amen. Amen. Amen.